Al, you old son of a bitch. How you doing? How do you feel about that call today? I mean, the Dolphins. Fourth and three play on their 30-yard line with only 34 seconds to go. How do you think I feel? Betrayed? Bewildered? Wrong response? I'm not sure. Welcome to Double Impact, the podcast where we double back on the movies that impacted us growing up as 90s kids and decide whether they hold up today or are best left in the past. I'm Tristan. And I'm Greg. It's Friday Arvo in lockdown Sydney, week uh, 12, something like that. Uh, I don't know, 12 or 13 or something. It's nice to see you, Tristan, via the video conference you too. tool. Yeah. How was your week These new glasses? Uh, they're not new. Like the I glasses. Just- I just don't wear them often, but I'm I'm a bit um, headachey today from the uh, from the hay fever. The hay fever's got me. Oh, maybe that's why I'm headachey. It's very likely. I, I couldn't figure out what it was. That's You're probably welcome. what it is. Have you been eating more hay? Yeah, so much hay. Yes, I've got to cut down on the hay. I suppose. Cut down on the hay. You just may lay by the bay. Could would should mold some clay. <laughs> Welcome back to uh, the miniseries that we're calling Popping Tristan's Cherry. Mm-hmm. Insert jingle I stole from Pringles here. Once you pop, you can't stop. Um, uh, we're back in the year of 1996 for this uh, one, Greg. No, we're just, eh? The birdcage. The birdcage. The cage of foll. What was it? Exactly. Uh, something French it's based on. Mm-hmm. From 96, again, we obviously did 96 last week with uh, that other film. Trainspotting. Correct. Good memory. Good movie. Good fucking movie. Yeah. Switching switching gears a little bit here. Yeah. Yeah, not often paired together, those films. Mm. In fact, the three of these films, it's quite diverse. I like that. We've covered some ground. Haven't we just? Mm. Member Berry. Yeah, Member Berry. Take us back. Take us back. Okay. So this is an unusual Member Berry. Um, I'm going to go down a little sequence of rabbit hole-like thoughts. It might be terrible. Go down the rabbit hole, man. Uh, and apologies to Aussie listeners because this is a little member berry from the United States, but I found it interesting, so we're going to go with it. It was also the first thing that came up on January 1, things that happened 1996 on the website I used. Well, I think it's fair to say, I haven't checked in a while, Greg, but I think it's fair to say we likely have more American listeners than Australian at this point. Yeah. There you go. I'm speaking to the masses. Let me check. Um, January 1st, after 27 years, Betty Rubble debut. Half a percent. Sorry. Sorry to interrupt. Half a percent. Oh, thank you for Half clarifying and stealing the crescendo. So of Sorry. <laughs> Betty Rubble debuting as a Flintstone vitamin. Hey, good on you, Betty. Oh, so, Flintstone vitamin. Then I was like, oh, is that Flintstone's tubal morphines? You know when Marge goes oh. to the shop and accidentally shoplifts because everyone's Flintstones, Chubba, Morphines, we need more old Sterile Flobo, need more OJ, that thing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Flintstone vitamins are a thing uh, mm. and Betty Rubble wasn't one. So they had, um, okay, a little bit of background. Here we go. You ready? Oh, I wonder what, can I guess what vitamin she became? Well, she, she just wasn't one of the shapes. So when you when you oh I thought they were all different vitamins no sorry they were They're just not. like the shape of Flintstones uh, characters so uh, they had a whole they needless were, to say we, yeah we didn't have these in Australia that's right and we yeah. still don't um, but we have kids vitamins but so they had Fred Wilma Pebbles 
um, Barney Rubble, Betty Rubble, Bam Bam. Oh, no, sorry. What, who did I say they didn't have? Betty. Betty. They didn't have Betty. So Betty came in 27 years after all the other characters and replaced the car apparently. What? She, I don't know. She just wasn't there. But they had Bam Bam. They had everyone. They had the car. So the interesting thing is these things came out in the 60s and I was like, wow, they had like kids chewable vitamins in the 60s in Flintstone form. That yeah, feels wow. pretty progressive, right? Yeah. I mean, I've only had kids a few years, so I didn't. I don't know how long the gummy – I didn't have gummy vitamins when I was a kid. Sorry, it's probably the no way. they weren't here in the eighties for sure. Let alone the. 60s. I think we had some chewable vitamin C. Yeah, but not gummy. It wasn't just like gummy. That chalky yeah, stuff. the chalky stuff. I still like them. Yeah. So um, this uh, company that invented them um, was called Miles Laboratories, founded by Dr. Miles. Uh, sorry, Dr. Franklin Lawrence Miles. Oh. So this guy was a bit of a uh, – he made his fortune uh, in the late 1800s as a successful salesman of his patent medi- medical medicine tonic. Oh, no way. He travelled town to town? Yeah. So it was called <laughs> Dr. Miles Restorative Nerve- Nervine. Brain and nerve tonic. Like, no like, way. Like Burns he served up to the, to the softball team. And it was Fuck. in treating nervous ailments, including nervousness, nervous exhaustion, sleeplessness, hysteria, headache, back pain, pain epilepsy, spasms, all this stuff. Like they basically said, yeah. oh, it treats the Ken nervous Griffey system. Ken Jr. never had a chance. So, yeah, and it was like a mail-order business system. And as it turns out, these things were like a massive uh, industry effectively called patent medicine or known as nostrums. And they were basically over-the-counter medicines that were like sort of had no effectiveness, no um, real medicinal or research-based cred. Yeah. They were just things. And they were one of the first, I guess, products that had a, that formed advertising and, and was sort of yeah. predicated and built off advertising. So they were effectively some of the earliest brands like that were advertised because they didn't really – it was all kind of made up so they just had to market it differently to the competitors. Right. Like it, it was only brand. That's all. It's like, all that's, brand, baby. There's nothing behind yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they sort of said they treated everything. It was over the counter and, you, ha- you, you know, you have this one, you'll be right type thing. And more interestingly, it was around the early 20th century, um, Food and Drug Administration, Federal Trade Commissions started regulating this stuff and going, you need to basically give a bit more evidence to what's in these things and what they're actually doing because <laughs> there was fraud. Some people were getting poisoned by them. Oh, fuck. And this is where the origin of snake oil salesmen came from because a lot of these products had all these exotic ingredients and a common one was snake oil. So people would have ah. snake oil and these guys would sell these products um, but it didn't really do anything. So the, the adage snake oil salesman is specific to these group of people that used to go around selling these tonics that were kind of full of shit. Right. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is this not one of the tonics that Joe Rogan has taken after being infected with coronavirus? Oh no, that's a that's a horse tonic. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Cool. He didn't have it. He he probably doubled down on some snake oil though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's uh, so that's the wormhole I went down. Um, it doesn't really circle back to Betty in any way, but um, but I wonder why she wasn't represented. That's interesting. It's curious. She's Bam Bam's she's mother, right? Yeah, she's a babe too. Um, yeah, she's the hot she's one. She's the hot one. <laughs> like, why wouldn't 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 you start? <laughs> wouldn't you start with Betty? We literally said she's the hot one at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Did we? 
<laughs> she is. She is. Like, cartoons are hot. Wilma. Yeah. Um, I definitely had a thing for Betty. Yeah, Betty was the hot one. Girls of cartoons won't leave me in ruins. I want to be Betty's Barney. We talked before about how there was, a, oh, maybe we didn't talk about it in the Robin Hood episode about how the animated Robin Hood, the fox, was like a sexual awakening for like young girls and some boys, I suppose. Really? Yeah. It was like, I mean, he's a handsome, he's a handsome dude. He's a fox, but you know, handsome fox. Was he? Handsome fox. Who was the <gasps> other sexual awakening guy we didn't realise? The kid from um, the Santa Claus. What's his name again? Yeah. I like yeah, him elf. a lot. Uh, David Crumholtz. David Crumholtz, ah, oh, yes, first. Man, big year for Betty in 96, wasn't it? Big year for Betty. Mm. Big year for movies. Absolutely. We've done so many movies from 96, man, so many. I won't go through them all. But although one does stick out to me as something I would like to revisit is Ransom with Mel Gibson. Um, you know on our TikTok, I posted this video of Mel Gibson back when he had an Australian accent months ago. Yep. And to this day. I remember. Most of our notifications are people commenting on that, debating amongst themselves how Australian he is versus not. Like, well, actually, his parents, he was born in America, so he was American. Well, actually, his well, parents are from Scotland and therefore, and it's like, fucking who cares, mate? And the, the sum total of his entire life in Australia versus yeah. the USA favors the USA. So on a net-net basis. It's insane. Repeater. People are stupid, Like, who man. cares? Who cares? Do something better with your time. Get My off God. the comment section yeah. right now. People are the worst. Not our friends of the show, of course. These are not, these are not friends of the show. These are random internet folk. Apply, apply your passion in a more meaningful and uh, productive manner. Yeah. Put it anywhere. Put it somewhere. Just not there. Put it in another bloody podcast. There's not many of them happening. Yeah. The world needs more podcasts. So anyway, Ransom came out that year. As did Scream, which I'm keen to do. Mm, I am also. As did Striptease. Ooh-wee. As did Fargo. Ooh-wee. And as did a little movie, came in at number 13 that year, a little movie called The Birdcage. Came out in March of 1996. Budget of $31 million with a gross return of $185.3 million globally. Wow. Uh, and, and let me tell you, a unique scenario in Double Impact history. Wow. Where on Rotten Tomatoes, both critics and audience are in agreement, giving this film 81%. How about that? You don't see that very often. You don't. Usually, I mean, you you saw the reaction to our, our post with... Uh, Roger Ebert saying Gladiator 1992 was better than Gladiator 2000. <laughs> People were not happy with that post. Our most controversial of Instagrams, I suppose. I, again, the same sentiment applies. Guys, relax. <laughs> but the tension between critic and audience is not to be found in this case, which is beautiful to see. Can't we all just get along? Harmony. Harmony? Harmony. Harmony. I think that's how it's pronounced. Harmony. Harmony, Harmony. Harmony. It sounds like Harmony. a stripper's name. Or a character out of... Police Academy. Yeah. <laughs> Mahoney's um, alter ego when he does blackface or something stupid. He, I wouldn't put it past him. <laughs> nope. He's in that movie. Uh, critic consensus. Mike Nichols wrangles agreeably amusing performances from Robin Williams and Nathan Lane in this fun, if not quite essential, remake of the French comedy 
La Cage au Fond. Mm, very good. I'm 100% sure I'm pronouncing that 100% correctly. Um, is this a big movie for you, Greg? Uh, no, it wasn't. Mm. Um, so I didn't see it when it was released, I don't think. Yeah. Um, look, to be honest, my private school-induced mild teenage homophobia probably kept this film at bay from me. Yeah. Um, I'm old enough to admit that. So it just, yeah, it wasn't probably my wheelhouse at that time. Yeah. Um, but Carol, look, I don't think I saw it before. Carol and I were together. So I right. think she got me onto it and we've probably, I've probably watched it like half a dozen times since then. Right. I lo- like I love it. Yeah. Um, so it was, it's all been in the last sort of decade. Right. So I've it's not seen it, but I've seen it. It's, it's not clouded in nostalgia so much, which is good. It means no. it's a clean, uh, objective view perhaps. Mm, yes, yes. Yeah. And obviously given the um given the the series of popping your cherry, what what are you do you have like a memory of this film or is there yeah. a reason you didn't see it or came and went? What's the deal? I remember it coming out. I mean to be honest, versus train spotting, this was probably a little bit closer to what I might have been interesting in interested in in nineteen ninety six, being twelve. Heroin was probably a step too far. But um mm-hmm. But it wasn't, I mean, and it had Robin Williams. So I was aware of it, but it didn't really appeal to me on any level. Like I think, yeah. although ironically, I saw The Fisher King, but I think that was just like <laughs> randomly on at my dad's house. I think that was like the year before yeah, this. Yeah. This, was, this was like in that period of him doing interesting things. And I saw that, which is a lot more adult and fucked up. But I didn't see this. It just didn't, it wasn't, I didn't really have an opinion on it either way. I was just like, just, it just never wasn't for me. And then obviously yeah. as, as the years would unfold, it, it became more appealing. And then more recently, since you pointed out when we, when we first started this podcast, the, the fashion choices made with uh, Sir Robin Williams. Yeah. Man. <laughs> and since then I've been itching to do it and um, yeah. been saving it just for this very moment. Yeah. We've both been looking forward to doing this. Yeah. And I do remember the trailer and everything. So my plot prediction in this case is really just the plot. Like I just kind of know the plot. <laughs> so I yeah, don't have yeah. like a big convoluted thing. It's just Robin Williams and Nathan Lane run a drag club. Robin Williams' son's getting married. His uh, fiance's parents are assholes. They must pretend to be a conventional couple and Hank Azari is there doing something. That's kind of all I got. Um, it's good. It's good. Because it's all in the trailer. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, uh, I never saw it and I, I've been very excited to watch it. And I think especially, you know, like R.I.P. Robin Williams, one of, one of the best, after someone passes away like that, it's, each one becomes precious and it's like, oh, I want to watch like mm. – and the fact mm. that I haven't seen one is a delight, something to be treasured and, you know, watching it is it's special. So I was very excited. Yeah, and there are some new unique – Elements to his performance in this, which I'm sure we can yeah, talk to. Yeah, an essential piece in the in the mm-hmm. rich tapestry of the tapestry. Oof. Yeah. That is you said tapestry. Yeah. And oof. <laughs> Once I said rich, tapestry had to follow, you know. Should I get into the origin story of this picture? I'd prefer it if you got it into the origin story. Origin story. As you alluded to, Greg, this is based on a French thing, based on a, 
1978 French film. Uh-huh. That in turn was based on a 1973 French play called mm-hmm. La Cage au Fond, which on the Wikipedia page has then in parentheses the Cage of Mad Women, which doesn't feel like a literal translation. I don't know. Maybe it was just titled that in in English-speaking countries, but I would think for F-O-L-E. How do they spell it? F-O-L-L-E-S would mean some kind of bird, wouldn't it? Uh, yeah, well, look it up. The full definition. Well, apparently folds can can mean madness, crazy. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Apparently that's apt. That's very astute on your part. Mm. Mm. Now, interestingly, I had never heard of this. I didn't know that it was based on a French thing until the credits rolled. Or actually, that's a lie. Until you said it about an hour before the credits rolled in a text message. But when you watch, like, I did watch the Cisco and Ebert review of this one and they talk about La Cage au fond, like it's it's very well known. Why would you bother remaking that? Why would all these people come together to make this movie? It was interesting to me. So I guess it's a pretty well-known thing. Probably not with our friends of the show listening right now because they're probably pretty similar to us. I doubt many had seen it, but it's a well-regarded film. What I'm trying to say. 95% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. It actually had two sequels as well. Mm. Although they dipped in quality. The second one had 60% on Rotten Tomatoes, and the third one had no rating at all. Ooh, so we know that's how quite that the goes. Descent. It's quite the descent. And interestingly, you know, it was kind of the style at the time, remaking these French films that weren't even that current. Like I said, this was from 1978, remade almost 20 years later. What else is there? Well, there's Trois Hommes et un Coffin. Do you remember what film that was? Three Men and a Baby. Correct. Yeah, correct. And that was from 1987. <laughs> yeah. So that was a bit closer. So that came out in 1987. I think Three Men and a Baby was 89 or 88 or something. Corsica Twins. Corsica Twins, of course. Um, another film, I'm going to get all the pronunciation wrong on this if you haven't noticed already. One called La Jette which was 12 Monkeys. Um, another one called La Totale. I'm yelling at it because it had an explanation mark on it, which was True Lies. Oh. 1995, 1994. Oh, sorry, Three Men and a Baby came out in 87. Uh, what it was remaking was yeah. earlier. Um, yeah, 12 Monkeys came out in 1995 based on a French film. True Lies came out in 1994 based on a French film. Another film called Oscar based on a French film called Oscar. Starring Sylvester Stallone, yeah. which I've never heard of. Came out yeah. in 1991. But that was a, a film from the 60s. Is he in a double-breasted suit? I think so, cover, like a yeah. Sort of gangstery sort of look? I did see one stock image that sounds a bit like that. I think it's a comedy though. Is it a comedy? I think it's mm. a comedy. It rings a bell, yeah. Um, another film called The Com Dads was remade into Father's Day in 1997 with Robin Williams himself and Billy Crystal. So interestingly, it appeared to be the style at the time. They're walking around mm. with onions tied to their There's belts, often a trend. remaking French films. And a lot of these films, as I mentioned, weren't French that onions. current. French onions. Exactly. <laughs> and like I mentioned, a lot of these movies weren't like from the 60s, 70s, 80s, not necessarily like from two years ago. Quick, let's let's make an American version. They were going through the archives, man. They were they were digging through the classics like a like a hipster at a record store. You know? Mm, Trying crate to f- digging. Yeah. And parallel to this. Also becoming somewhat of a style at the time, a little film called The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, 
came out in 1994. Another film called Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar. Love Julie Newmar. <laughs> yeah, came out in 1995. You know, Bish Bash Bosh, there's, there's, there's a bit of a, a proven appetite for something that had previously probably been unrepresented in cinema um, and that was, mm. you know, drag culture and I suppose just more LGBT-focused characters in general. So what better time to remake this French classic, I suppose you could say. In 96. Yeah, in 96. What a year. Big year for Betty. Now this particular French remake uh, had Mike Nichols at the helm, someone who, to be 100% honest with you, I don't know a lot about, but he's quite an interesting fellow having done. Kind of a big deal. A huge deal. The Graduate, Catch-22, Working Girl, Regarding Henry, Primary Colours. Uh, he was a comedy guy. From usually when we say comedy guy, it's uh, it's UCB or Second City or, or Second City Canada, SCTV, the Rick Moranises of the world, all that stuff. This predates all of those because it's the fucking fifties. He was an, a comedy improv guy in Chicago in the fifties, <laughs> mm. and his improv partner was a woman named Elaine May who they would, they would collaborate over the years and, in fact, they collaborated on this film. She was the writer of this yeah. American version of this film. And it seems like she was also just a, a bit of a Hollywood script doctor because she has, she's not officially credited, but she's contributed to a number of red-hot scripts in Hollywood, um, not the least of which being Labyrinth, Tootsie. Mm. Tootsie, which I think is used as the textbook example of a perfectly written script, Oh, yeah, right. Dangerous Minds? Many things. Tell me why are we... I heard Coolio wrote that. The story by <laughs> is Coolio. Yeah, of course. He's 23. Ever would have lived to see 24. Yeah. The way things is going, he doesn't know currently. He'll have to get back to no. you. Now, a, a bit of a script doctor. She had a magic touch, to say the least. So they get together. They 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 want to make this thing. Interestingly... Before the cast we, we have in the final thing, there were some other ideas formulating. So originally Robin Williams was attached to play Albert who would go on to be played by Nathan Lane. Mm-hmm. And um, Steve Martin was going to play Armand. Mm. But he had to pull out due to a conflict and Robin Williams decided, you know what, I would much prefer to play Armand because I just did drag as as uh, Mrs. Doubtfire. Mrs. Doubtfire. And this would be a chance to do something a little bit different, which is interesting, not to give away my rewatch, but it was interesting, you know, having seen everything else Robin Williams done and all of his stand-up and that kind of thing, how much he, you would expect him to almost do the other role. So it's interesting that it did start mm, there. Mm, Needless mm. to say, he didn't do it. And they bring in Nathan Lane, who at the time, I think this was his, he may have technically been in some movies, but he was more of a Broadway guy at this point, not not a household name by any means. So this was his big breakout in a mainstream sense. Outside of those, I didn't really have any precasties, but but just to round out the cast, we have Robin Williams as Armand Goldman. We have Gene Hackman as Senator Kevin Keeley. We have Nathan Lane as Albert Goldman. Diane Weist as Louise Keeley. Dan Futterman as Val Goldman. Callista Flockhart, Ali McBee herself. Barbara Keeley, Hank Azaria as Agador Spartacus, Christine Baranski as Catherine Archer, big friend yep. of the show, we, we, we enjoy her work, Tom McGowan 
as Harry Radman and um, on Grant Hasley as the National Enquirer photographer. Bish bash bosh, you got yourself a movie. Hey, I've got I've got a precasty. Can I add a precasty? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you got? Um, originally, Azaria's role in um, in the movie wasn't the butler oh, guy. Oh yeah. He was purely just um, like a stagehand, like prep person for um, Nathan Lane's drag character. Mm. And they originally had a um, uh, David Alan Greer, who you'd recognise when you saw his face, to play In living colour, many things. Yeah, many things. Um, but they, in the original he was a black butler and they thought that that wouldn't really translate well to the American audience. Yeah. So then they were sort of grappling with it and then they were like, oh, well, it might we translate too well, one guy. unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. They were like this might look bad. But, yeah, so they merged the two, mm-hmm. didn't they? Yeah. So they merged. Merged. Great news for Hank Azaria. Um, less good news, I suppose, for David Allen Um mm. Bish bash bosh. Well, you, you get these people together, you get some neon lights going and some outrageous outfits. Outrageously good. Bish bash bosh, mm. you got yourself a movie. Shall we play the trailer? Mm-hmm. Pop, I'm getting married. <laughs> it's a girl. I, I met her at school. It's this wonderful... Uh, what, what are you... Are you upset? But let me tell you why. Don't use that tone to me. What tone? That sarcastic, contemptuous tone that means you know everything because you're a man and I know nothing because I'm a woman. You're not a woman. Oh, you bastard. Are you crazy? You can't get married. It's out of the question. We've been sleeping together for a year. Oh, God. Has he been tested? Oh, Kevin. Yes, and so have I. Oh! Uh, Who's his father? His father is in the arts. You do an eclectic celebration of the dance. You do fussy, fussy, fussy. You do Martha Graham, Martha Graham, Martha Graham. Or Madonna, Madonna, Madonna. But you keep it all inside. What does the mother do? She's a housewife. Oh, I could play it straight. You take your knife and you smear. Men smear. Smear, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Get the pinky down. I hold the knife boldly in the strength. No, come on, I pierce the dough. Al, you old so-and-so. How do you feel about that call today? I mean, the Dolphins, fourth and three play on their 30-yard line with only 34 seconds to go. How do you think I feel? Betrayed, bewildered. Call me. Perfect. Won't you come in? Senator Keeley, Mrs. Keeley, come here and give me a hug. I've never felt such tension. It's like riding a psychotic horse towards a burning stable. God, it's a nightmare. Something about the father and the skull. I can't put my finger on it. It's nothing. What do you mean? It's nothing. It is nothing. Something very strange is going on. We are family. Did we rap party at the birdcage just to? Oh Jesus Christ! Of course we should have. My bad. We didn't rap. Well, we can. We can still do it. Like, let's just have two rap parties. They would have had at least two. They the after pa- after party parties. at the birdcage, yeah. and then the after after yeah, party upstairs. Fuck, yeah. man, that would be 
lit. <laughs> that would yeah. be huge, huge. Good God. Ali McBeal there. Did you watch Ali McBeal? Uh, not religiously. I think my sister might have watched it, so I had some. Um, yeah, I had a bit of that. What do you call it? Second, second-hand viewing, or yeah, my mum and or my sister it? would watch it. It was so big, wasn't it? It seems huge. So big, yet so invisible now. It seems like it, like it never happened, but it was such a big thing at the time. Yeah, just gone with the wind. Yeah, dust in the wind, you might say. Dust in the wind. Yeah. So, what the hell happened in this movie, Greg? <laughs> Well, uh, look, Tristan, it's not without irony that I say the plot synopsis here is very straight up and down. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so recap on the plot. You've got a young man and woman, Val and Ally McBeal or Barbara. I think she goes by Barbara in this. Bob. Later in life maybe. Babs. (laughs) Babs. Barbara. 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 Rondo. I think you could give it a Barbara or Barbara. you could give it a, a Deborah, but Barbara. Barbara. There you go. Barbara, I lost a sigh. Kinda. I could lost. be a sitcom. There's a sitcom here. <laughs> well, there's probably a sitcom here. Uh, they're young lovers, Tristan. They're just 18 and 20. They're still at school or I think I'm assuming college. Yeah. So they're set to be wed. We don't we know, we don't know too much about them yet, but what we do know is that they're from very, very different Americas. Ah, yeah. Barbara, a.k.a. Ali. Her father's the ultra-conservative Republican Senator Kevin Keeley uh, with his doting housewife Louise, while Val's parents are Armand and his partner Albert. They're the gay owners of a drag club in South Beach, Florida called The Birdcage. Mm. Armand run, runs the club whilst Albert is the uh, sort of star of the show. Mm. Um, so it's a real guess who's coming to dinner scenario where... The parents are due to meet. Um, so there's a couple of things going on. Uh, Keeley's involved in a, in a, in a scandal because one of his party members has been caught with an underage prostitute. Uh, he's got a lot going on. He thinks this is a moral opportunity, you know, like a publicity opportunity for a, a wedding, a moral sort of, mm. yeah, coming together, some, um, some purity. Some white. Good old I think fashion. they reference white. Yeah, fuck they do, don't they? Oof. Mm. The uh, so that they think that's a good idea. So Val, who um, is the fuckwit in this movie, uh, the son, he basically goes, "Hey, Dad, fuck I yeah, need to sorry, <laughs> throw me a bone." He's like, "It's like you. It's kind of like he's got this pretext of you owe me one for raising fuck me and you're gay, and you know I've had to deal with a lot being you being gay. Him. He's been hard on me. Hate him. Oh, we'll tear him to shreds for most of this pot, yeah. I assume. So then he. Uh, he sort of says to his dad, look, you need to get rid of Albert because Albert is, you know, too gay for 24 hours and just straighten up this place, get rid of all the um, uh, homophobic... Uh, <laughs> Opposite. <laughs> get rid of all the gay icons and gay iconography through that's, that's littered throughout the house yeah. um, and host them for dinner and be 10 years straight and we'll get my mum back we learn is just uh, a one night stand with um, uh, with a girl from you know twenty odd years ago. Yeah, that's the sort of that's the sort of setup, and then um, and the rest happens. Uh, look, it's uh, hilarity in shoes, I would say. Mm. I'd, I'd go a bit further, Tristan, to say it's a tale of love 
It's a tale of fear, of acceptance, of true genuinism. Genuinism. A r- genuinism. A reminder that whilst we all have different values and indeed live different lives, it is completely possible for us to live out those differences side by side harmoniously. And in an increasingly divided world that we find ourselves in, the message of acceptance and tolerance has never been as important as it is today. Hard agree. I was going to say, at what a time, 1996, when there were such um, fragmented views on the world. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, fucking know, hell, right? man. <laughs> uh, we, re- we regress. Although we regress. I, I'll save it for a little bit because I'm going to do initial thoughts first, but I, I feel like I have some issues on on what level of of, of acceptance and, and harmony we landed on by the end, but we'll get to that. How's the rewatch for you? I mean, it's not you've watched it relatively recently, so I guess no big surprises. Yeah, uh, look, I, yeah, no surprises. I really love this movie. Yeah. It's just like it, this is a a feel good movie in 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 every sense of the word. Yeah, um, you know, you love pretty much all the characters, bar Val. Um, you know, the rest are all awesome. Even even you know the baddies. Um, Gene Hackman is awesome in this. I love him in this. Mm. And uh, like he plays a great role and he sort of, you know, like comes around somewhat. He's in drag at the end. Like it's yeah. um, it's just like a feel-good movie. Um, I'll get into the bits and pieces, but that's kind of very high level mm. how the rewatch was. How was the watch for you? First, you popped your cherry here. Yeah, it was the cherry was popped. Um, it was interesting. I had, I had mixed feelings throughout the watch. Initially... The, the whole first act, I'm like, fuck, this is fun. I'm into, I'm into this. I'm just like the energy, the 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 aesthetic of it all is so fucking cool. Mm. Like the whole South Beach, the wardrobe, the opening shot, that like steady cam all the way into the birdcage and everything, which apparently was three shots seamlessly cut together. Um, Seamless. I mean, I might even go as far to say, um, I don't know, would you say South Beach was the main character in this film? Oh, could I hit me? Hit, give me an astute. Yeah, it's very astute on your part. Maybe the birdcage even was a main character in this movie. Mm. Mm. Even the apartment. Oh, it's a nice apartment. I tell you what was for real a main character in this movie was Robin Williams's wardrobe. Oh fuck, man! I I've been banging on about this you for a have. while, and you, you did not disappoint. It just works for him too. Like this is the best Luke. He has had in any movie. It just suits him so well. <laughs> yeah, it's just fucking great, man. Every every Very look, free flowing. Every look is great. I was so disappointed when he suited up. Um, and performance yeah. wise, with Robert Williams, performance wise, it was so interesting to see him more dialed back again. Like you could easily see him playing the other role, and it's interesting a that he chose to do this role, but then b how he did it. Because again, having only seen the trailer to this back in the day. As we just heard in the trailer, then like they show that Madonna, Madonna, those parts, and so you you expect that, a bit I more. I thought of that, that was really interesting. Yeah. yeah, so you expect like that's the tempo he's going to be at, but that's just the exception to the rule that is the rest of the movie. Is very subdued in an interesting way. Like he just fucking you just watch him, he sucks you in. Mm. Um, so that was all great, and I I was feeling it, and then I feel like somewhere in the middle, it just kind of got a bit slow for me. 
Like, I, and maybe it was just my expectations. I thought I just was. You can kind of see that this would work as a play or started as a play because it's kind of just a lot of it is just. Acts. Yeah, a lot of them is just sitting down talking to each other. Like I kind of maybe I was expecting more. I don't know. I think part of it is that these aren't major issues. Again, I did enjoy it overall. But it was more just some of the jokes in in the middle there with um, with Nathan Lane. Like, okay, as an example, him shaving as he's getting ready to perform drag, I feel like back in 1996 would have been like, isn't that crazy? Whereas now it's just like, yeah, I mean, you got to shave. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it doesn't do the movie harm. Like it's not like a a bad joke or a, a joke that's aged poorly. It's just kind of like, yeah, yeah. And there was a bit of that for me with, um, I don't know, it just felt like we spent a lot of time with the him trying to be masculine stuff. But then, but then the flip side of that is I realise you need that because once they are all in their costumes and acting undercover, you need to know what they're who, covering up. Who trying up to be masculine? To so when he, when he was teaching him, when he was when Robin Williams was teaching Nathan Lane's character, is that what you yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just felt like that. Well, the, the funny thing is when the trailer was just playing, I was laughing. So I don't know. It's some, it just felt a bit. It felt like that part went on a lot longer than. Maybe just what I was expecting because it took a, a- – Yeah, right. I think there's so many good little – like I, f- I found that bit, there's so many little lines that you that, that you miss some of them when you're la- – I don't know if you're laughing or not, mm. but I was missing lines. I've seen it a few times, you know, in the last little while and even then I was missing lines because they're, they're, some of the dialogue is so quick and back and forth and sharp. I did miss that, that even you in kind the trailer. Of, you yeah. miss little bits when you kind of – like there's a lot in there. Even just yeah, then in the trailer, I, I did laugh at a line I missed, which is I, I pissed the yeah, toast. It's, <laughs> and like yeah, it's, so it's, not, it's ridiculous. You've got to suspend. Yeah, it might just be a, an expectation thing. I guess I just thought that that part would go faster and then we'll get into what I was expecting to be the meat of it maybe, which was more with Gene Hackman being there and all that kind of stuff. But then, yeah, like I was saying, the flip side is I guess – I get that you need that stuff too because if they're already in costume pretending to be other people, you know, 10 minutes into the film, like you don't have to have the Who same impact. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I guess you need it. So, again, this is more just not saying hey, it's look, aged terribly. You, you got to open mm. up and, mm. up and, you know, tell us how you feel. Yeah. So I think there was just because also then when you get to the end, the end just feels extremely sudden. So I feel like you, you probably could have shrunk in the middle there somewhere. Um, and yeah, I don't know. And you, you did clarify something for me in your plot synopsis. I wasn't sure if the mother was like a surrogate or if it was a one night stand. So it was a one night stand. Then, interesting. Yeah, yeah. I liked how cool she was with it too, and how cool everyone kind of was with that. Feels like that would have been pretty progressive at the time. Yeah. Although being a one night stand, I guess yeah, that's pretty. Even for the kid who is a real fucking asshole, to be pretty cool with it. That's the most cool thing he's been cool about. Mm. Should we talk about him being an asshole? Because he is the worst. He's the fucking worst man. <laughs> and to be fair, it's probably yeah. just the movie, the, the time and the movie outdatedness. I don't want to take it all out on this guy, but fuck, man. Yeah, but but we will. He seems quite likable at first, and it crept up on me. I was like, felt betrayed and bewildered. I was like, wait, are you an asshole? <laughs> he's, he's like, he didn't give an inch. Oh. He comes in with these demands. 
And it's basically all under the pretext of, well, you owe me. I'm like, man, the guy yeah. who raised you as a single, well, a single dad with a, you know, with a partner, raised you himself. Your mother didn't raise you. Yeah. This guy did. And yeah. then like he, he owes you something because he's gay. And Nathan's, Nathan Lane's character seems to have raised him almost just as much, right? Yeah. That's his other dad. It's not just like he seems yeah. to. Because the, the line that really. You grew got, up in a house of love. Yeah. Yeah. And when, um, as it all unfolds and Nathan Lane's character runs off, like that's it, I'm out of here and I'm going to, where's he going? Galapagos or something. Um, the kid said, the son says, it's all right, it'll be better without an uncle. Like he says that to reassure his dad. It's all right, it's all right, it'll be, it'll be better without an uncle because at that point he was going to be the ma- like be a bit more masculine and pretend to be the uncle. That's his yeah. fucking addressing the concern of the situation. Your other dad just left, is very upset, and you're saying, no, it's okay for me It'd because be we didn't need him for tonight. Fuck mm. you, man. <laughs> <laughs> what a piece of shit. Oh. So the only he's got a couple of redeeming, not necessarily redeeming traits, but I guess well, redeeming trait. He does stick up for his mum at the end. Yeah, in one scene, and he's Carol's. Carol gets angry when she watches this film at this character. Yeah, she doesn't like Val, um, but she was like, "Oh, I guess he's twenty. Like, it's pretty young." Because that seems to be a significant plot point that he's twenty. And I, I did wonder why is that? And I guess that may go some ways to explain it. Because, I mean, as you mentioned, a 16-year-old Greg probably wasn't that interested in this film. So, like, he was four years older than you. Like, I guess you could say that at the time that was not necessarily uncommon. I mean, he's definitely an arsehole yeah. by today's standards, but fuck. It's, mm, I guess it's yeah. an interesting thing to consider. But I hate him so much. <laughs> I hate him. It's interesting because he has he gone on to, like, him as an actor, do you know, I didn't actually do any research into him. I looked I, him up. He's in lots of stuff. Nothing that, well, some some significant titles, but I think it's smaller roles. He had a familiar face. He's been in a bunch of things yeah. in, to some degree. Seems like he might be more of a that guy. Um, oh, that's right. He wrote the screenplay for Capote. Oh, interesting. Okay, so he's of significance. Yeah, sorry, I did. I did read that again. I mean, he's acting here, of course. He's not. This did not. His character does not represent his his personal views on the matter. <laughs> he is an actor, <laughs> but sometimes, man. But <laughs> this, this is this is the double edged yeah. sword of being Kevin a good Spacey actor. Too. Effect, effect. Yeah, if, if you're a good actor and you play an asshole, it's so hard to separate the two, man. And I, I feel like there's a well, lot the of actors out there. Chances are you're tapping into something. <laughs> tap. Well, like the guy Kevin McAllister's dad we were talking about last week. There was some. Uh, imitating life, yeah, he's tapping. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Um, and then similarly, this one's a bit different because obviously he's meant to be the asshole in the group. He's Gene Hackman's character, but by the time you get to the end, I feel like there's not enough. Like he doesn't learn anything. He he dresses up in drag to get out of there, but like only because he really has to. It's not a moment of like, oh, I had you. Don't get me wrong. Not that I wanted a big kumbaya. I had you guys all wrong. What do you mean? What do you they mean? They got married. He, attend, he attended the wedding. At, in the credits and also in the lead up to that, I realised there's only 10 minutes of this movie left. I'm like, how are they going to wrap this up? He's still a bastard. And then it just goes to the credits and they're getting married, which I guess you could argue shows that there was some kind of level of understanding developed. But... Yeah, maybe show that. He's waving know. to the 
He's at the wedding. That's them showing it. I don't think that's enough for What do you me. want? I want more. A piece to camera? Break the fourth wall? I now admit that I was a bigot. No. I mean, I, want, I didn't write this movie. I don't know. But I would want, I would want more to sh- at least. It just feels like a bit like with the kid, right? A bit like with the kid. The tone of the movie does feel very much. The kid's supposed to be likable, I think, right? The tone of the movie feels very much from the point of view of, I mean, can you blame him? Look how crazy his parents are, which is probably just an outdated thing. But I think it's a similar thing with Gene Hackman's character. He's got some real fucked up views on the world that never really get any sort of, I don't know, there's no arc there. He's just still a bastard at the end. (laughs) There's no, they go out of their way just because it's the right thing to do to help him. I don't know, just something to, to beyond showing the wedding in the credits, something to show some level of. He's, he's just a character. You know it's a comedy, right? Yeah, but it, there's, for me, I would have liked to see more. Mm. Anyway, it's subjective. It's my point of view. That's how yeah. I feel about it. Yeah, you could write a letter to them or something. <laughs> I could make a podcast about it, Greg. Um, <laughs> oh, I found something that was interesting. Hang on. All right, so I found in the um, New York Times review from 1996 by someone named Bruce Bauer, he said uh, that basically he's, he's comparing it to the French film. He said the French film was a fast shot through with poignancy, uh, an approach that for 1978 was pretty advanced in its recognition of how deeply the son's request violated his parents' hard-won self-respect and integrity. Amusing as it was, the film affirmed the couple's humanity and made their love credible. It even made the son sympathetic. Not an easy task. <laughs> um, depicting his request as a product of callowness, not lack of understanding. Its ultimately gay affirmative message can be summed up in a lyric from Jerry Herman musical version. Um, oh, it was made into a musical. I forgot to mention that. Life's not worth a damn to you can say, hey world, I am what I am. And he says that the birdcage, the American version, has no I am what I am moment and also lacks the original film's perfect balance of farce and poignancy. I'd say he's probably been maybe too hard on it, but I feel like that was getting close to sort of how I was feeling about Gene Hackman's character. It felt like... He got away with being a jerk. Yeah, basically. That's basically it for me. I've never seen the French version, so I can't vouch for that, but it's interesting. But then the flip side is, of course... The, this was 1996, man, and shit was different then. <laughs> it wasn't that long ago, it feels like, but shit was different then, man, because they also there's not much affection between Nathan Lane and Robin Williams. They hold hands a couple of times, but mm. there's not even like put an arm around the other person, even when like they're sitting at the bus stop, moments where you would expect mm. to see something. There kind of wasn't any of that. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's more like mates. Yeah, and I would say you, can, you guys can be a gay couple, but just don't 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 touch. Exactly, and which I feel like was maybe not overtly a thing at the time, but certainly if this was made straight washed it a little. Yeah, if it was made today, it? is that a thing? Probably there would there would be more affection if it was made today, hundred percent. So I looked mm. into it. This maybe is, a gobby scene. <laughs> maybe this is the maybe. rabbit hole. This is the rabbit hole I went down, Greg. Um, this is my this is this is my Betty Rubble. <laughs> I hope it's better than my nerve tonic. Because I, I I went and looked into it. I was like, well, when when did they first start letting men kiss in movies? And I looked it up, and I was surprised to find the first gay kiss, and not just I don't know a kiss for other reasons, like a an 
erotic. That sounds uh, overselling. No, not erotic. Not overselling. It, it was an orgy scene, it said. In the 19... <laughs> 19 there you go. That's a circuit breaker right there. It was there. like 19... 22 film called Manslaughter, a silent film with an orgy scene and two men kiss. And in the first lesbian character, sorry. An orgy movie called Manslaughter. That's an <laughs> aggressive name for a gay porn. Exactly. And it's not even <laughs> gay porn. This is a movie. This is this is mainstream. Know, but, it, <laughs> but isn't this interesting? So this, this is a rabbit hole I found was actually fucking in the 20s they were doing this shit. Um, there was a first lesbian character in 1929 in a film called Pandora's Box. I'm sure the porn parody has the same name. And, and there were other mm-hmm. bits and pieces here and there. Now, interestingly, what happened was in 1934, something called the Hayes Code came into effect in Hollywood. Have you heard of the Hayes Code? The Hayes Code. Yeah. I don't think so. So it's interesting that there was actually these things happening pre-1934 you wouldn't expect. Again, we don't see them kiss in this movie, but there was a film called fucking Manslaughter with an orgy scene and kissing in the 20s. But in 1934, the Hayes Code set stern guidelines for what types of content could be released by US movie studios. And it went all the way until 1968. It wasn't all about homosexuality, but that was one of the taboos that it had to Mm. remove from films, basically. So it was part of an initiative to fix the image of Hollywood. There'd been a bunch of scandals, including an alleged rape and murder of an actress. Um, So they made this code. This is what it came to. So the Hayes Code included, when it came to sex and relationships, overt portrayals and references to sexual behaviour could not be shown. Adultery as a subject was to be avoided. Complete nudity was never permitted. Um, Interracial relationships not allowed. Wow. Wow. Sex hygiene, not to be, not appropriate subject. Scenes of childbirth, never to be shown. Homosexuality, never to be depicted. Um, Scenes of passion should appear only when necessary and should not be explicit. When it came to crimes, crime and immorality could never be portrayed in a positive light. Criminals should not be made to be heroes. Because I think uh, the original Scarface was pre this as well. I think the article I was reading made a point out of the original Scarface being like one of the only early movies to show, you know, someone being a criminal and... Winning. Yeah, winning. Yeah, exactly. Um, Drug use, all that kind of stuff you'd expect. Um, Religion, ridicule of the clergy is not allowed. Religion could never be depicted in a mocking manner, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This is a long list, It's a long list. Is this written by the church? Pretty much it sounds like, right? But this was a code that had to be adhered to, to... to any film made in in Hollywood. And it's interesting because all that shit, all those cliches that I never really thought too much, I always thought it was weird, but I never really overthought it was, you know, in sitcoms like I Love Lucy where they slept in different beds, it's the Hayes Code. <laughs> in same, yeah, also in wow. I Love I, Lucy. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, in I Love Lucy. I Love Lucy. <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the point. That's my version that I like to watch. Um, she couldn't say she was pregnant. It's too vulgar. She had to say she was expecting. Ah. Betty Boop had to cover her legs. So, again, it's all this stuff before this, this code came in, I'm not going to say it was progressive, but it's more than it was in the 30s. Um, what a bunch of wowsers. Yeah, and it's interesting because, you know, as I'm being hard on The Sun and Gene Hackman's character and, and some elements of the movie overall, I had to remind myself, Greg, that this movie is 25 years old. And this movie was, from when this movie was made, 1996, 
the Hayes Code was only officially ended in 28 years earlier. So the distance between now and, and that movie and that movie and the Hayes Code is pretty much the same kind of deal. So when you look at it through that lens, I mean, I know this movie was progressive. This movie has been celebrated as progressive, but it's, it is pretty cool that this was made in 1996 and you have the characters with depth, they're openly gay, etc. Like that's all good shit. So I guess I'm just splitting hairs with the other stuff is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, no, I think you can – but the, the the thing, I guess, with you having not watched it is you can bring that a little bit more because, you know, we talked about the nostalgia bit and yeah. I think my nostalgia in having that conversation with you is probably more attached to the permissibility of the whole thing and whether it's mm. dated. Yeah. You know I mean? Yeah. Well, and it's interesting too because uh, I remembered – I had to look it up make sure I wasn't making it up, but um, – Remember the movie, the Studio 54 movie? Yeah. Came out a, a couple of years after this and I'd heard a few years ago that there was, it was all recut. There was a lot more gay stuff going on there amongst the main characters like Ryan Felipe and, and uh, the other guys. There was gay subplots. They were all gay basically. Mm. And um, Yeah, which was probably true to form of the yeah. actual events. Yeah, but unfortunately in 1998 the Harvey Weinsteins and Disney's of the world ordered 40 minutes of that film to be removed and 30 new minutes added. Oh, yeah. 30 minutes of Salma Hayek. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cans. <laughs> Man. <sighs> anyway, the two cuts were so drastically different. I'm reading a quote from Vulture here. The two cuts were so drastically different that one of Studio 54's producers, Dolly Hall, nicknamed the studio cut 55 instead of 54 because it was so bloody <laughs> fucking different. And Ryan Filippi himself said, I've never seen this kind of editing and reshooting on another film. Uh, the characters were fundamentally changed in a way that, that wasn't true to the original script, not even close. And apparently there's a bootleg of that original cut circulating that's getting a bit of a cult following. I'd like to see that. But again, this was, Birdcage was two years before this. I so, bet you would. Yeah, yeah. The Birdcage was two years before that. So again, pretty good result for the time. Um but again, you know, does it doesn't hold up today. There's definitely some, some I guess yeah. the two sides of this are fucking progressive for the time, but through a 2021 lens there are some areas that would probably be done a little bit differently here. Yeah, it's dated yeah. a bit. If you, if you hold up the, the magnifying glass. But not in horrendous ways. Like it's not offensively, like there's nothing mm. bad, there's nothing toxic in it. It's just... For me, like some of the jokes probably don't land as hard as they did in '96. As you know. I tell you, I tell you, who still landed hard? The jokes. Hank Azaria is still fucking hilarious. He's my favorite man. When I was a kid, I was so obsessed oh, with Hank Azaria, unit. man. When I found that he was all those characters and on The Simpsons, we're talking about. But we would, because um, I watched Mad About You with my mother, and he was in Mad About he You. Did. Hold here. Yeah, there was a dog walker. He was the dog walker. And I think that was the and first time go, I put there, a face to it. And I just became so obsessed with him. And he was married to Helen Hunt then, I think, for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's just always been such a fucking massive hero of mine. He he was 25 <laughs> years old when he first did The Simpsons. And he had, he'd done one voice it's, before on a pilot that went yeah. nowhere. He got called in to do Mo. As a one-off thing, he thought he wasn't going to get a call back, and then he got gets called back to do a poo, and and then it just he wasn't like a full-time guy until like a bit later. Mm. And he the way he talks about it too is so what's the word? 
so laid back about it. Like, oh, yeah, I wasn't expecting much. He's the guy, man. He is the Simpsons. Him and Harry Shearer, I guess, <laughs> but he's more likable than Harry Shearer. <laughs> Definitely. He's lovely. Oh, man, he's so He's cool. hilarious in this, so funny in this. Like just all of it. Like, <laughs> I don't wear shoes because they make me fall down. <laughs> <laughs> like you just you don't expect any of these lines. These lines come at you, yeah, and they kind of blindside you because you're just not expecting him to a put on a he put on he puts on a funny voice within his funny voice. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's just There's and then layers. he's like the the physical comedy of it, hot and sour. <laughs> What was, what's the soup he makes? Oh, he made it up. Hot and sour, <laughs> sweet and sour peasant soup. <laughs> there's like an, there's an egg floating in it and he's having that breakdown. It's all falling apart in the kitchen. Like it's all pretty like, it's almost cliched sort of tropes, you know, from the, in terms of the plot, but it, it's so funny. Well, I think that's part of the charm of the movie though too is like there is, yeah, the yeah. whole plot is pretty like uh, kitschy in and of itself because it is, it's very much mm. the, yeah, guess who's coming to dinner or like the the classic Salty sitcom. Cowsy. Yeah, sitcom trope of the boss is coming over. It's all those things. Yeah, it's it's all, with, you know, steamed hams. Yeah, steamed Aurora hams. Borealis. It's, it's steamed hams. It is 100% steamed hams. But, yeah, we, we've got a clip, don't we, of uh, a supercut of all the Hank Azaria voices in The oh, Simpsons. Of course, yeah, yeah. Which i got to tell you, I consider myself a Hank Azaria super fan and I was watching it earlier and I was like, oh, fuck, I forgot about that one. Oh, shit, that one. Yeah. But it's, it's yeah. Well, we'll play the clip and then we can dissect after. The most rewarding part was when he gave me my money. Last night's It Seen Scratchy was, without a doubt, the worst episode ever. Rest assured that I was on the internet within minutes, registering my disgust throughout the world. You go through life, you try to be nice to people, you struggle to resist the urge to punch them in the face, and for what? I'd rather let a thousand guilty men go free than chase after them. Well, it's not your original bear, of course, hey, but it is programmed to be just as cuddly. <laughs> for the next five minutes, I'm going to party like it's on sale for $19.99. Ah, oh, nuts. I mean, um... And that's Disco Stew likes disco music. I could call my ma while I'm up here. Hey, ma! Get off the dang roof! Arr, I don't know what I'm doing. Hey, Salvatore, guess who's here? Mr. Cucunabanza and some real ugly kid. Deaf man, can't breathe. Oh, no. Ooh. Why is it when I heard the word school and the word exploded, I immediately thought of the word skinner? Do they think I'm like an idiot? I'm going to enjoy pooping on their carpet. Or he feels no pain. <coughs> Sorry, my English is not so good. I mean, he feels only pain. Normally, I love to see flaming dream boats headed my way, but not like this, baby! Not like this! Welcome to Springfield Elementary Casino Night. My fee for this evening goes to victims of my criminal recidivism. So relax, have fun, and please, God, don't piss me off. We now come to our final award, Entertainer of the Year. An award so prestigious that it recently won the Award of the Year Award at the 2007 Awardee Awards. No pizza, only chalkalash. Oh, you are a very greedy man. The other dragons shall hear of this. You've stolen all my joke and chortles. Ah! You should have thought of that before you had children with a dead man. You are a wise woman. It is a shame you dress like a Lebanese prostitute. Johnny Tightlips, where'd they hit you? I ain't saying nothing. But what do I tell the doctor? Tell him to suck a lemon. Tell him to suck a lemon. (laughs) 
It's one of those random Simpsons jokes that I fucking love so much. But, yeah, man, this guy, I'm sure for many friends of the show listing, surely for you, Greg, massive hero growing up. And it was so cool to see him in movies, wasn't it? Like, that's the guy. Because it always felt like he was a little bit under the radar, but you knew. (laughs) You knew that's the guy. Like even in Along Came Polly when he plays the the randoms, are you for scuba? And he's jacked. That made me like him more too. Because, you know, yeah, and then as a teenager a trying to get jacked, you're like, oh, my, my favourite voice guy is jacked too. <laughs> yeah. He's so cool. He's a cartoon voice guy that's jacked. Jacked. Man. Jacked. Imagine getting the gig of a lifetime doing voiceover stuff when you're 25 years old. They didn't get paid a ton in the early days though. It was like 30 grand an episode mm. in the 90s, which, again, don't get me wrong, it's not bad for... Yeah, you know, but for what the show was making. For what the show was making. That's what you're saying. Exactly. And then eventually, even in, it wasn't until like 2008 or something that they started making 300 or 400,000 an episode, which I looked up what's a middle of the road sitcom. Because, you know, Seinfeld's of the world, million dollars. It's, it's fucking Seinfeld. You could argue this is fucking Simpsons, but whatever. Middle of the road show like King of Queens, Kevin James still got 300 grand an episode. So if he's getting that, yeah. they should all be getting that at least. Well, Kevin James is kind of from the Chuck Law disproportion. <laughs> yeah. Like he got he was like the highest paid guy, Kevin James. No. What's his name was? For a period, Charlie I'm Sheen. pretty sure he was Oh, man, I'm sure for a period Kevin James if if he wasn't the highest, he was like He got 300. Super top tier. He got 300. From what I could when I looked it up, but Charlie got like yeah. a million an app or something. But maybe there was a period before two and a half men. Yeah. They yeah, made so much remember. money, man. I might have been pre. But he was on big dollars because I remember just thinking, man, he's. America loves an every man, though. And every don't get man? me wrong. Is that a word? It's not even about the quality of that show necessarily. It's just the numbers it does, right? Well, clearly not because look at Big Bang Theory. That got the numbers. They get though. paid all the money. Yeah, but it quality. Sorry, I, I interpreted quality a different way. It doesn't. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. The quality is shit, and it gets the fucking numbers. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Sorry. I mean, unsurprisingly, we're on the same page. Here. <laughs> Man, so much money. But then again, on the one hand, it's easy to go fuck those guys get so much money. But then, on the flip side, not that I know a ton about this stuff, but as you get older and and the internet exists and you learn about pilots and all that kind of shit, so many pilots get made to get nowhere. To get on a hit sitcom is yeah. It's pretty much like winning the it's, lottery. It's like the lottery. Yeah. It is legitimately the lottery, and I think most of them would say that. Yeah, but most of them have worked their ass off for a long time as well. Exactly. That's the payday, but it's not. It should represent everything they've done up until mm. that point. Mm. Pretty much none of them, except for maybe the kid from Two and a Half Men, had an overnight fucking thing. Yeah. Fucking. Uh, Kevin James has worked a lot harder than, than myself. So <laughs> heavy at that. Yeah. I quite He'll like Kevin James too. Cop. He's a likable guy. Oh, man, there's a good new show on Amazon in Australia. I think it might be on something else overseas, but it's called is it Kevin. Someone or, someone or other can go fuck themselves and it's from the point of view of the wife, but it subverts the whole sitcom thing of what an asshole the husband is in all the sitcoms and without oh, spoiling yeah. it. It's it's wild stuff. It really flips everything in your head a little bit. I don't want to give away the whole thing. Interesting. But it's worth watching and it's got the delightful daughter from Shit's Creek in it, so get around it. Hey, on, on, on Hank Azaria, we heard all those voices he did. A few of those he's not doing anymore. Yeah. Interestingly. 
it feels somewhat tangentially related to this movie too because there's also a lot of stuff going mm-hmm. out now of Robin Straight. Yeah, playing a, a, a straight person playing a gay character or or at the very least someone who's not transgender playing transgender, that kind of thing has all become all a bit questionable. But, but yeah, uh, Hank Azaria no longer does a poo or Lou or Carl or Bumblebee Man. Big time. So is, so so they've got different voice actors doing Carl. Yeah. Um, and is a poo even being done by someone else? He's not in it anymore for now. They might bring him back in some way. Damn. And it's an interesting one, man, and it's – we have the you and I. We have the privilege of it's easy to go. Oh, that's well, it's gone mad, but we mm. have the privilege of never having to think about this stuff, or never having to. And you know what? To be fair, I remember when the Simpsons Australia episode aired. I was like so pissed off about it as a child, and my mum was like, "Get over it! How are you going to be offended by this?" Um, so you were offended by the Simpsons when I was a kid, and they did the Simpsons, the Australia one. If I'm offended, oh, sorry, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. If sorry. I'm offended by something so yeah. silly, then who am I to be dismissive of someone who's offended by a poo, right? So, I think it's it's easy to like knee jerk reaction is like, oh, but Simpsons make fun of everyone. Yeah, but man, mm. the the way um, the way Hank Azaria talks about it is pretty cool. I think he's, he's a pretty chill and open guy. This is him on Colbert mm. talking about the whole thing. He got, he- because he came around, because I think his initial reaction was he was pretty shocked and distressed. Yeah. And um, the Simpsons' reaction overall was a bit shit, but they talk about it here actually. They'll cover it. But uh, but he's quite cool about the whole thing. Well, I know you at least as Mo, Chief Wiggum, and Apu. Yes. Who is an Indian-American character. Yes. Who in the last couple of years actually, and again recently, has, has stirred some controversy. Yeah. Do you... How would you characterize the controversy and and do you understand why some Indian American or South Asian American actors are offended by that character? Yeah, not just actors. Uh, of course I under I understand. I mean, it's come to my attention more and more especially the last couple of years as you say that people in the uh <clears throat> in the South Asian community in this country have been fairly upset by the voice and characterization. Did that uh, surprise you? Of Apu, um, not over time. It did when I first heard about it. Absolutely, um, but uh, and it's it's sparked a lot of conversation about what should be done with the character going forward, which is not so easy to answer. And I, I've tried to express this before. You know, the idea that uh, anybody was young or old, past or present, uh, was bullied or teased uh, based on the character of Apu, it just really makes me sad. It was certainly not my intention. I wanted to spread laughter and joy with this character and the idea that it's you know brought pain and suffering in any way uh, that it was used to marginalize people it's, just, it's upsetting gen- genuinely well i mean I, I i'm i don't want to stand here and like hold your feet to the fire i'm another you know middle-aged white guy who certainly offended a lot of people in my day <laughs> so i've got i've got nothing to stand on here but i do want to talk about the simpsons response earlier this month that upset a lot of people yeah. what they, um, I think I have something along the lines of what, what, what happened in here. Um, Marge is reading Lisa a bedtime story, and um, Lisa is reading something that started decades ago and was applauded and inoffensive is now politically incorrect. What can you do? Yeah. And she looks over at a framed picture of a poo, which has the line, don't have a cow on it. And Marge says, some things are, will be dealt with at a later date. And Lisa says, if at all. Right. Um, I think that if anybody came away from that segment feeling that they should 
lighten up or take a joke better or grow a thicker skin or that's what people up. said like uh like we like we've heard what you said and we were not going to respond yeah that's certainly not the way i feel about it and that's definitely not the message that i want to want to send what, what do you think should happen with the character going forward yeah i've given this a lot of thought really a lot of thought um and as i say my eyes have been opened and I think the most important thing is we have to listen to South Asian people, Indian people in this country, when they talk about what they feel and, and, and how they think about, about this character and what their American experience of it has been. And as you know, in television terms, listening to voices means inclusion in the writer's room. I really want to see Indian, South Asian writer, writers in the room, not in a token way, but genuinely informing whatever new direction this character may take, including how it is voiced or not voiced. You know, I, I'm perfectly willing and happy to step aside or help transition it into something new. I really hope that's what The Simpsons does. And it just, it not only makes sense, but it just feels like the right thing to do to me. What a good well guy. Said. Well said. Another, um, another option would be to sunset the show. Well, that's the thing. That's what I was going to say. There's no show that's run this long, so it's interesting. You you take what would have once been a bit of a time capsule, arguably like his character in this movie, but it's still running now, and so it has to be held up to the standards of now, just not the standards of 1996. And so I think his response is pretty mm. bang on. Because yeah, I mean, the reason I bring that up is you you could argue the same thing about his character in the Birdcage that these days that probably wouldn't be as well received. Um, Mm. It's all moving so fast, though, man. Like, uh, there's a few layers. I have no, I have no fucking, you know, I don't claim to know, you know, what's the best way to represent LGBTQ audiences in, in media. But it is interesting how fast it's changing because it was only like a couple of years ago. What was it? 2015, when Eddie Redmayne won an Oscar for the Danish Girl. Yeah. Jeffrey Tambor was still being nominated for Transparent in 2017. I guess it's ultimately a good thing that it's moving fast, but it's just um, it's an interesting time to be an actor because even Benedict Cumberbatch just got a bunch of backlash for taking a role playing a gay person, and those two, those previous two I just mentioned were mm. were transgender. And again, this is me just thinking through it. I'm trying to learn like everyone else, and for me, it was like with the transgender stuff. I get it because if you're a transgender actor and there's not many roles for you. Let's use an analogy. Emma Stone shouldn't play an Asian person because there's plenty of Asian Asian actors out there and there's not enough Asian roles as it is. Why would you cast Emma Stone as an Asian person? That happened, by the way, in a film called Aloha. Mm. She was only half Asian but she was also half Hawaiian, so there you go. Um, (laughs) And so I think the same thing goes for transgender and I think the part that is, is the new part perhaps is like, well, but gay isn't like how you look. So then, to where does yeah? How well, gay actors should be able to play straight characters. Yeah, and and do so. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Again, I don't claim to know the answer. This conversation may sound extremely outdated in five years. Maybe it will, but it's just it's just it's almost it's interesting. Like, I know. I'm just trying, not solving it on the spot. Yeah, but surely it's an appearance thing because if you're acting, you should be be able to. Yeah, you know, interpret a character. Yeah. Through your actions versus how you appear. I think this role in particular is probably the type that is trickier. If you're going to be really 
lean into the cliches Camp. of being gay, it's kind of tricky. <clears throat> yeah, to it's s- true. But but and I guess the other side of it is also letting letting these communities that haven't been represented on screen very often, whether it be race or gender or sexual preference or whatever, be in control of their own stories. So I get that argument that perhaps if there's going to be a gay character on a movie, maybe it should be played by a gay person because let them tell their own stories kind of thing. That's interesting too. So, yeah, I I mean, I don't know. These are all just interesting thoughts and it's fascinating how fast it's moving because, yeah, like I said, a couple years ago people are winning Oscars for this type of shit. So it's... Almost exclu- almost exclusively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right? how you. I'll be playing a biopic of a gay trans uh, HIV um, amputee. Yeah, because do you remember there was that backlash of Scarlett Johansson was going to play a transgender man? It couldn't have been long after 2017, and again Dre- Jeffrey Tambor winning all the awards for Transparent, and I. <laughs> To be fair, she probably didn't handle it the best, but I kind of get where she's coming from. She was like, "What? What's the issue? Go ask Jeffrey Tambor or Jared Leto about this." It's just, mm. it's just. Did she also play an Asian woman? Though? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Before, it's become she? a bit of a meme now. Blah blah blah. It's going to be played by Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, hey, um, yeah go, hey, go. No, that's all I got. <laughs> Changing gears a little bit. Yeah. Did I ever tell you about my uh, business idea for uh, a gay a gay nightclub? No, but I'm in. Ark is for sale. I heard. I heard. It's Fifty almost, mil. It's serendipitous. Yeah. It's probably a little out of budget. I need to start a little bit more. Um, okay. Off Broadway. Um, so <laughs> it's going to be aviation themed, and it's going to be called the cockpit. I like it. I like it. So you just we're just decking it out. All the weight, all the weight staff are in like, you know, sexy little uh, 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 flight, flight attendant outfits, yeah. and there's just the, the theme carries right through, and it's the cockpit. <laughs> it's not as aggressive as it's pretty aggressive, but it's not as aggressive as manslaughter, which is just like. Not seeing it. It's too much. Sorry. What about a lesbian club called Pandora's Box? There's all these names from these silent films in the 20s that translate quite well to gay clubs. It's fascinating. Maybe the Blue Oyster was a silent film in the 20s that I'm not aware of. Wow. It's, it's very astute <laughs> on your part. Wow. Wow. Should we get into the verdict? Yeah. My wife's sending me all kinds of we related messages, distressing we related messages. Oh, she's talking about Lola, not herself, I suppose. Yes, we are. We are. Um, we are potty training. I want to say we. Carol's been doing it all day today while I worked, but hmm. we are potty, tra- potty training Lola this weekend, which is a, a good time. Then we must get into the verdict post haste. I don't know what to say, really. I don't remember asking you a goddamn thing. I am the law. I'd like you to answer the question, Judge. I want to have them answered immediately. You can't handle the truth. What are you waiting for? Ah! Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. Nothing further. Your Honor. And that's all I have to say about that. Um, overall, it's a rewatch for sure. I know I probably dwelled on some of my my nitpicking things, but they weren't nitpicks. They weren't big deals. For all the reasons I said, I think it's an interesting yardstick in measuring the progress made in in representation of LGBTQ uh, uh, 
humans <laughs> on on screen. Mm. Um, and and the fucking wardrobe, man. If not for that, if not mm. for any other reason, fucking the wardrobe. He even rocks the dad hat in it. Yeah. What the backwards? Yeah, the backwards dad hat with. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's. It's a good look, man. I told you, my summer look is gonna be open shirt with wife beater underneath, man. That's that's the look. Maybe a moustache. Do it. Maybe <laughs> just maybe I'll open a drag club. I don't know. I don't know if there'll be enough Maybe some extra time. hair on your forearm <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and my shoulders. <laughs> oh, he's a hairy man. It's wonderful. Uh, it's such it, a beautifully cast thing, isn't it? Oh, mm, so great. So How about you, Greg? Going. No, that's just that's that's it for me. Rewatch for sure. I mean, well, it's a first watch for me. So if you haven't seen it, I wholeheartedly recommend watching it. Absolutely. What about you, Greg? Yeah, man, I, lo- I love it. It's um, it's good fun. Um, great characters, uh, great fashion, and just <laughs> yeah, it's just like a good, you know, disconnect and just a. Uh, Disconnect and watch the birdcage. It'll you'll be smiling at the end of it, guaranteed. Yeah, I've just googled <laughs> porn parody. Oof. Ooh, manslaughter. <laughs> um, did Simpsons do it? I don't know. Did they do it? I couldn't find anything. No, no, they've done nerve tonic. They've done nerve tonic. That's pretty close tangentially to what. That's you our link about. for the week. And and chewable morph Flintstones chewable morphine. <laughs> um. And Hank Azaria is in The Simpsons, so there you go. What do you want? Oh, my. You got more Simpsons this week than most. Yeah, exactly. Um, porn parody. I just Googled it and I couldn't find anything. Um, yeah. Bechdel test, not really that kind of movie, but you know what? Points for representation in other ways. So I'll say that's mm-hmm. not applicable mm-hmm. in this case. Um, FX test, I don't know. I mean, there was that great steady cam shot in the opening that was. Stitched together artificially, so that's a win. Um, Recasties. The only recastie I had was Billy Ichner. Ichner. How do you say his name? You know that guy that does Billy in the Street. Oh yeah, yeah. And um, not William Fitchner. No, not not Willie Fitchner. Billy. Who's Billy Ichner? Have you seen those Billy in the Street videos? He was also on Parks and Recreation towards the end. He was ironically he was in um, the Lion King playing. No, not ironically. Yeah, he was in the same – Nathan Lane's character in The Lion King he played in the remake, so there you go. Um, but I would have him as Robin Williams' character in this. I don't know him, but he looks hairy, so there you go. Yeah, and he's he's a cool guy. I like him. He'd be good in this role. Did you have any recasties? Uh, no, I started doing like a invert – trying to find a way to invert the trope and have like yeah. you know, the kids are gay or something – yeah, it's hard um, to just cold recast this without just being very stereotypical. <laughs> yeah, so then I, I just thought the the recasties was best left in the past somehow. Like yeah, just, it's you're right. Like it has, I like you know I don't think it's dated to a point where it's like it's um, it's homophobic or anything yeah, like that. Yeah. But it's probably moved on enough for not to not to do it again. Yeah, yeah, agree. That's yeah. I think that's kind of where I was coming from with my. It's like yeah. It's not offensive or anything. It's not the jokes aren't suddenly horrible, but it's probably it's been made and it's it aged. exists, and that's that's fine. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. MVP was a tough one of this. Who was your MVP? Oh man, I went around. I I, I think I probably give it to Nathan Lane. 
Yeah. Um, probably, I feel probably feel in this day and age, give a little bit guilty to giving it to one of the straight guys. <laughs> yeah. um, they, he was better at being gay than you, Mister Gay Man. Um, <laughs> but uh, look, I, I really I liked Robin in it because he was, you know, he he, he had bursts of his flamboyance. But he kept it pretty straight. That was kind of interesting. Him being the straight guy in the in in the film is yeah. not normally. Yeah. And Hank Azaria is like pretty amazing in it. Yeah, I I basically netted it out in the same place. I'm like, you can't not give it to Nathan Lane in this, especially for the yeah. time. This would be such a breakout moment for most people who haven't, you know, mm. aren't Broadway people, um, myself included, of course. It's it just a whole new thing. Like this is. It's hard to imagine anyone else in it not just yeah hitting the right notes like literally and figuratively. <laughs> like it could even with Robin Williams, it would be a bit cringe. I think I don't know that wouldn't I wouldn't have liked that as much. Because mm. yeah. there, there is yeah. yeah. Well, we didn't talk about it, but apparently Mike Nichols um, has a track record. He's a bit of an auteur and has a track record of really getting the best out of his actors. Right. So if you look at in those early films he did with Dustin Hoffman when um, when he was an unknown in... Um, graduate. You know, a kid really doing The Graduate. Yeah. And the performance he put in there. And there's a bunch of other actors that have said he got the best performance out of me I've ever done. Right. Um, and he's that's kind of his reputation, the way he sort of dials in individually with each cast member. Yeah. And kind of spends a lot of time with them to kind of make them... Feel like it's their movie. This was one of the last movies he did too. He was an old fella. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He kind of he sort of said, uh, "Everyone said I, well, I was past it," and then I produced. Yeah, this, so. look, at, I fucking did it. Fuck you guys. That was his big. Yeah, yeah. yeah. After the first screening Which or something. Cool. Good for him. Yeah, yeah. I made to talk about that earlier, so hopefully people are still listening. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, what are we doing next week? Yeah. Ooh, next week, very special guest. What are we doing next week? We are doing Howard the Duck. With a long overdue guest appearance from one of our OG friends of the show, uh, one of our Instagram buddies, Movieverse. He's been with us from day one. He's helped us grow the show in many ways. Yeah. And uh, we're big fans. And he's gonna, he's a big fan awesome. of this movie. So I haven't – have you seen it? I haven't seen it. I don't think so. It's his favourite movie, isn't it? Yeah. He talks about it's it It's his favourite movie. We're going in cold. Hopefully we can still be friends by the end of it. I guess we're still bopping yeah, Tristan's hopefully. Cherry technically next week. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. And Greg's for good measure. Double cherry. All right, that's it. We'll see you next week, guys. Find us on Instagram. Yeah, guys. Leave us a review.